my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. Listen every Thursday or join the conversation anytime on Instagram at What's Her Story Podcast. Comedian Tig Notaro is known for her deadpan humor. She was nominated for two Grammys and an Emmy. Her memoir, I'm Just a Person, is a New York Times bestseller. Let's start with family. You had children six years ago. Yes. What was that like? A big change, but that's what I was hoping for. Uh, That's what everybody would say to me is, um, you know, your life is going to change drastically. I hate when people like, say that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you're kind of like, no, that's what I want. No, no shit. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I'm signing up change. for that. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Or when people good. say enjoy every moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're, we're both parents together. We have seven children, but not together. She has four, I have three. Okay. Yeah. And... Like, oh, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> um, so has your humor changed since you started parenting? I wouldn't say it's changed. I would say, you know, there's kind of been a slow shift in that before I got married, I used to just say whatever I wanted on stage. And then that changed a little bit because my wife, Stephanie, was like, oh, I don't know uh, if that's really what happened or... (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> oh, that's really personal to us. And then I started looking at things a little differently in that way, where I was like, oh, yeah, maybe that doesn't go on stage. And then when we had kids, there was the other place of protecting their privacy, deciding what to share, what not right. to share. So it's more of a filter process. Would Stephanie say that parenting with you is very funny? No. Um, <laughs> I think there are funny moments for sure. Oh my gosh. Even just this morning, our son, we went on vacation, our son, which I think I can tell this, but our son Max was, we asked, you know, are you excited to get back to school? And he said, yeah, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of martial arts classes to teach. And, and uh, yeah, we were like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I just, I teach martial arts at school. Uh, and, you know, Adrian's in the class and Lucas is in the mm-hmm. class. And very so yeah. it's funny in that way. Um, but parenting is, I remember old friends of mine who had been together since college. They were each other's first girlfriends. And they said that their relationship was just smooth sailing until they had children. And then they said, we argued about everything down to how to cross the street with our children. (laughs) Ouch. And I didn't understand that. And not that Stephanie and I are arguing about everything at all, but it really is challenging to, because we didn't discuss before we had kids, how do you feel about this? How, what do you think about this? Or what do you do down the road? And any of that, we were just like, yeah, let's have kids. And we did. And we were like, wow, you think that you feel that right. you're doing that I'm doing this. And, and yeah. it's really interesting. Well, and it's also within the filter of being exhausted all the time. So yeah. not only are you negotiating that, but you're doing it while you're exhausted, which right. leads to so many more arguments mm-hmm. and tension about things that you normally wouldn't care about. But when you're hanging by a thread, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> when we were, when our babies were tiny and, and we were both working and they you know we didn't sleep train and then i finally i was filming a tv show and i said i think i'm gonna do sleep training and stephanie was against sleep training and i was like but i'm like we're in the writer's room (laughs) they're filming all day i like i'm losing my mind yeah and um so she agreed to try it and we put the babies down we walk out of the room they start screaming and we're standing there and um, I said, okay, I guess we just go back to our room. And she said, so you're just fine with this. You're just fine with listening to our baby scream? And I was like, no, I'm not fine with this. I am not fine with this. This is devastating. I don't know what to do. I'm losing my mind. We had the exact same argument. I think yeah. it's a every couple. Yeah, so if there's always one like uh-huh. empath like me yeah. who's like, I can't bear for one second of yeah. screaming. Oh, I, yeah. now, listen, I... I couldn't bear it. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I hired. I got desperate and hired a woman on the phone who mm-hmm. lived in Idaho to teach me how to teach my kids to sleep. But she yeah. did. Oh. I was like, "Are you like wow. a psychic?" Like she taught me how to do it in three nights. See, well, we paid yeah. for a service like yeah. that, and then we never um, called them. <laughs> we were all over the place. 
we were just like, hi, yes, I'll give you my credit card. And then we forgot. We were like, what do we do? And it was like, we paid a company. And you're, oh, you're right. the favorite clients because we never called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Harvey Karp came to our house. You remember him from The Happiest Baby on the Block? He mm-hmm. wrote this amazing Amazing book, Happy Stevie on the Block, and he taught us how to teach our child to sleep through the night at 13 months oh old. Oh, my gosh. That was her first night of sleeping through the night. Yeah. See, meanwhile, my brother and his wife had a baby five months ago, and they called us, and they were like, yeah, Mark sleeps 11 hours a night. He's like, lying. No, some babies are like that. Some babies are We never had one, though. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have that, and nor do we have... Stephanie would always point out kids that were just sitting nicely at parties. <laughs> she was like, How are, how's this kid just sitting on someone's lap? Our kids are just up the tree and in the pool. Oh, and they're going to the be fence. so much more fun when they're yeah. teenagers. Oh. So what nice. kind of kid were you? Um, I was into stuff. I was definitely into... I was up the tree and, you know... Were I, you funny? Uh, well, yes, of course. Um, I failed three grades. I dropped out of high school. I smoked. I played guitar. I snuck out of the house. I, you know, drove without a license when I was, you know, I was like 11 and driving around smoking. And So um, when did you get straight in terms of your... No, not. Um, I would say... I feel like, you know, it was a process of, honestly, speaking of when did I get straight, was figuring out that I was gay and, you know, learning who I was. I was like, oh, this is me. And then um, becoming a comedian. I was like, oh, this is me. And so I think I was just slowly getting on a path in life and stand-up really, really whipped me into shape. What was the first night that you did stand-up? What was it like? It went really well. And I got cocky. And I was like, wow, this is easy. I guess I'm just naturally great at this. The best. Yeah. yeah. And then I went up the second time, and I bombed and ran off the stage and drove home while my friend Derek laughed hysterically at me. <laughs> On the car ride home from Orange County to Hollywood. He was just, he was in tears. I'm sorry. It's true. And so how do you go back the third time? You know, it's kind of like, sadly, like an abusive relationship where it's like you keep finding hope that like, oh, it'll be better. Oh, oh, they'll be nicer, you know, (laughs) and it's tied to some sort of terrible thing, I guess. In people's lives where they're like, oh, I'm, I'll make them happy. I'll, I'll do it right this time, you know. Yeah. And you're stuck in this cycle of like bombing and then doing well and then bombing and doing well and over and over and over. At what point did you feel like you've broken through? Like I've actually made it or some semblance of made it? Truly the first open mic I did because I never imagined. And people think I'm exaggerating. But my whole childhood, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Wow. And I never thought I could. I didn't think it was... Um, I always say that, and this is a terrible uh, example now, because what I was going to say is uh, it's like wanting to be president, you know, that not anyone can be president, but now we know anyone can be president. <laughs> but it's more of like 
that feeling of like, how do you go to space? Yeah. How do you become president? Right. How do you become a stand-up comedian? How did you research how? I mean, what, what did you do? Well, then? I didn't. I had no plans to really become one. My best friends that I grew up with, they were moving to Los Angeles. And um, I had gone through a breakup. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just go with you. And I went. And I opened the LA Weekly and there was so many opportunities to get on stage. And so I started going to watch stand-up for two weeks to check out the scene. And then I just thought, well, I guess I'll sign up for an open mic. And when I got on stage, I, I couldn't believe I was doing what I'd always dreamed of doing. That it was truly just signing my name on a paper and walking on stage, but spending the two weeks prior talking to myself in the mirror, and I would hold a, um, a flashlight and talk to myself in the mirror, and then I went and did it. That's amazing. <laughs> so you have succeeded at something that most people don't. Mm -hmm. Why? You mean stand up? Yeah. Because I was not the astronaut thing. Marriage. No. <laughs> Why do I think I've succeeded? Mm -hmm. I think there's something to consistency. And uh, I think in stand-up, if you're getting 51% of the time laughs, I feel like you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. And so that kept me sucked in and continuing. And But I also, once I had that initial bite in the open mic, I, I really couldn't stop. I was on stage seven nights a week and I was always told that I wasn't going to be a headlining comedian because I was too low-key or I was female or gay or all of those things and it's hard for people maybe now to realize you really were told that mm -hmm. and I used to think okay fine I'll just do this as long as I can, and then I'll end up in a writer's room, which is what I was told was where somebody like me would end up, is, mm. you know, working for somebody that's on stage or on a show or something. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's fine. If that's down the road, I'll end up there, but I'm going to do this as long as I can. And I just kept doing it. And I think that's really key is showing up and being passionate and boy was I passionate. <laughs> I didn't even have a car. I rode my bicycle from Hollywood to Santa Monica. Wow. To, I, would, I would go, every, people couldn't, I'd show up sweaty and I'd be like, all right, guy walks into a bar. <laughs> and now a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. 
And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. When was the last time you had an off open mic night or an off night doing stand-up? I did a show on, I just finished a 70-plus city tour. And there is a city that will remain nameless, where 3,500 people simultaneously felt like, eh, what? (laughs) (laughs) How did you recover after that? I was truly, like, I have been all around this country. (laughs) It's the city, not You're not going to out the city? You're not going to out the city? No, (laughs) no. Because I'm probably going to have to go back there another year. And, and the same people aren't going to come back because they didn't I, think you were funny. Were, I know. You're right. That's an optimist perspective. That's yes. great. But it was a weird feeling where uh, I was like, I've been doing this 25 years. I've just done, you know, so many shows on this tour. And you're telling me this is not funny. I mean, there's a part of me that I have had a certain amount of success which has built up my confidence that truly when I have a night like that, I just am in my head going, I've been through worse and just take the money and run. (laughs) Amy, before we dig into our time with TIG, and I have to admit, 
I barely knew who she was. I mean, I she was familiar, her face to me, but like I really didn't know her work before we interviewed her. And I am obsessed with her. Like I was online looking for tickets to her show. I think she is the funniest human. She was on her website. She has a section called Secrets. And then it says, please do not share this information with anyone. And the secrets are things like, I loved drawing Civil War portraits as a child. (laughs) And Oh, my God. And Amy, hold on one more. Guilty pleasures are America's funniest home videos and walking upright. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. The truth is, like, this is a woman who can opine about what it is to live a life and be a woman in the middle of her life and deal with things like cancer and romance and kids and sexuality and, like, find that humor that we desperately need to get through the hard parts. So what did you think of Tig? I think she's incredibly smart and brilliant. I love her. I want to be her friend. Are you surprised? No. I mean, I really want to be her friend. Like, I really want her to come to one of our dinners. Like, I'm kind of, like, obsessed fangirl of hers. Did you get her email? I'm not sure, Amy, but you know I can find it because I can find anyone's email. I have her email. Maybe I'll share it with you. <laughs> My gosh, Amy, you're so sweet. Look how generous Amy Nelson is. I love it. I am like open source. Open source is my motto about networking. Be open source with your networks. But Amy and I are open source, of course. But like, I feel like, and this just like goes into a conversation about networking, which is probably an unlikely place to take the Tig Nataro interview. But I do think like you and I are two of the best networkers I know. And part of it is because we are generous with our introductions, but we're also smart with them, right? So I just want to share one or two tips about smartly introducing people. One way to smartly introduce people is to introduce people that you know there's sort of a mutually beneficial reason that you are introducing these two people. So like, for example, I know if Amy's introducing me to someone, and even if it's for that person at the time, there's probably a reason Amy wants me to know that person. And that person is someone who will probably reappear in my life in various ways professionally. I think that sometimes people make the mistake of introducing someone to someone just as a favor to them with no benefit to the other person. And I think that when you do a cold intro like that, there has to be a benefit to both people. I think that's right. And I just want to bring up the point that like we know each other because somebody introduced us who thought we should know each other because we were both starting companies at the same time. So Rachel Sklar introduced us, not because I asked to know you or you asked to know me, but because she said these two people need to know each other. One thing that you and I will probably always disagree on is the double opt-in intro. Oh, we're always going to disagree on this. It drives me crazy when people write me or call me to ask if they can introduce me to someone. Because if you are someone I trust, you have an open invitation to introduce me to someone. How I follow up with that is my own thing. But you never have to ask me and then ask them. And then it's like two weeks before you've introduced us. Like, just do it fast and move on. Well, okay. So this is the, so this is the issue, right? Is that like, I do not have inbox zero. I am can never get to inbox zero. By the way, Amy, I'm sorry. One of the reasons we're friends is because you've never mentioned inbox zero. People who mention their inboxes are people that I would like to stay away from. Me. Okay. Well, I, I, I have an issue with my inbox. This is why we don't talk about it. Like, as you know, there's no way I respond to every email. And then I feel like an asshole 
if someone sends an introduction and I don't see it, you know, and, and that person I'm not responding to might not know that I'm just not seeing the email or that I'm buried or, you know. And so, and the other thing is, I think I probably feel this way because the biggest area of my life where I get asked for connections is to VCs. And VCs always want double opt-in intros. So if you're not in the startup world, a VC is a venture capital investor. And the startup world is small, and I am always happy to try to connect people. But some investors are pretty pesky about wanting the double opt-in. I guess also right now, I'm very (laughs) anti-VC. They fund so few women, and I just feel so like bitter about it and a little bit burned by VCs and kind of sorry I ever really took that route. So I just, I don't want to base any of our behavior on how VCs behave because I think VCs are patterned on a certain class of men who aren't open source. Like I always think it's so funny when you see a venture capitalist on LinkedIn and they say they care so much about diversity and getting pitches from everyone. And then you go to their LinkedIn and try to connect with them. And it says you need their email address to connect with them. But I'm really interested in everyone's pitches. Like That, to me, is the epitome of bad VC behavior. Anyway, let's go back to TIG because it's a much more pleasant topic. (laughs) I agree with you. TIG is far more pleasant than talking about investors. And by the way, oh my God, Amy, how she talks about parenting is the funniest thing. It is amazing. I mean, she is like a big kid at heart raising kids and it's like delightful. Well, she just has such a like hilariously like kind of third person perspective on all of it. And it seems like being her partner would be super fun. It would be very Not that, like, I'm infringing on her partnership or anything. It's a really weird thing to say. I'm not, like, auditioning for the role. She seems really happily married, and I'm super happy for her. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would appreciate it if you'd leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co, and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Stacey Para, and our male perspective, Blue Burns. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest 
to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 